Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. In this episode, we'll be talking about creativity, specifically the opportunities and challenges faced by Christians with creative gifts and callings. We'll talk about how those gifts are supported in the church and how they're received in the wider culture, too. We'll also talk about whether culture today is more hostile to Christian creativity and what that means for doing our work well. Well, Pastor Mark, I hear that you have another talk coming up with Worldview Academy. Is that right? Yeah, kind of an interesting, uh, it's a Zoom-based, okay. open to the public talk that I'm doing on creativity, uh, right. Christian creativity. And so the, the title is Creative Christians in a Cancel Culture. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff related to Christian creativity. Cool. Well, I would love to spend this episode preparing you. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. I might benefit from that. <laughs> good, good. Well, I would too, I know. So, and hopefully our listeners will as well. Um, you're a very creative person and would love to hear some of your thoughts on creativity, especially that title is kind of intriguing me. Creative Christians in a, was it in a cancel culture? Right. Okay, so maybe can we start with that title? What's going on with that title? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different things. So, uh, at Worldview Academy, during the summer, we get a lot of students who have just creative interests. You know, they, they'll come up and they say, hey, I love to write poetry or I love to uh, write fantasy novels. It's not unusual to have people uh, you know, who are teenagers who've already written a book and, and want to share it with the world. And so we're always having these interesting conversations. And oftentimes we're talking about um, how to think about creativity from a Christian standpoint, uh, as believers, what should they think about in terms of using their gifts? And then there's also this other kind of thing, which is the, the tension with the culture and the relationship to culture. Because when you're being creative, you are making a contribution to the culture. But, you know, a lot of Christians are ambivalent about that and, and feel that the culture is not welcoming to them and and is in many cases hostile to them. And so they're trying to think about what that means for a life of creativity. So the cancel culture is a kind of culture which what you're talking about, it's, it's not welcome to their, their creative purposes. Well, that's always the fear. You know, I think yeah. when you hear people talking about cancel culture, what they're always concerned about is the stifling effect. Like if everyone is, is worried about saying the wrong thing. If you're constantly editing yourself, policing your own language, then that has a stifling effect on creativity. And obviously, there are all sorts of debates about, you know, is this a, a legitimate fear? Is this going on all the time? Or is it relatively rare? Uh, there's obviously a difference between people saying or doing bad things that, that should be criticized, receiving criticism. I mean, right. that's kind of how the back and forth of this stuff works versus kind of a, maybe like a weaponized version of, of the boycotts of the past where the people that you disagree with, you perceive as 
as sources of danger who should be isolated and, and, and cut off from the rest of society. So there's a lot of concern, I think, right now because people just aren't sure what's going on and, and aren't sure if, if their voices are welcome. And so, again, it, it, it can have that tendency to, to, to lead you to edit yourself uh, to ask, you know, do I need to tailor my message differently so that people won't um, throw stones when I speak or something like that? And yeah. so there's a lot of, I think, interesting issues to work through on that end of things. In addition to just thinking in a foundational way about, you know, what is culture? What is the Christian's relationship to the culture around us? and and if I'm a creative person, how do I contribute to it? Right. Well, great. So where are you hoping to start with these students? Just in terms of encouraging them, I, th I think you want to do, you know, you want to encourage them to foster their creativity, to create and contribute without that kind of a fear. So what's the yeah. first step? Well, I never think I'm very good at encouraging and <laughs> You know, I, I can recall in my own artistic formation, most of my mentors were, were anti-encouragement. So I remember just hearing a lot of stuff about, you know, why you shouldn't write novels, why it's a bad idea, why you should give it up if you can, can at all. And the only reason to go forward is if you're just absolutely compelled and indifferent to the idea of making a living. And in a weird way, I thought that approach was really helpful because it tempered my expectations and it really did cause me to focus on, on why I'm doing this and what matters about the outcome. You know, because I think a lot, of, a lot of us now who have a creative orientation, it, it gets mixed up in you know, the desire to express yourself the desire to uh, be successful, kind of make a name for yourself, that sort of thing. And for years, I always distinguished between someone who says, you know, I want to be a writer and someone who says, I want to write. Hmm. Because those are two very different things. You know, I want to be a writer might just be the same as, as like, I want to be a rock star. Or I want to be a celebrity. Just you have this mistaken idea that writers are famous living some sort of different kind of life versus I want to write, which is I want to do the thing. You know, I, I want to actually practice the craft. And I, I have no trouble encouraging people who are aspiring to fame or, or status or something. Uh, number one, seek it elsewhere because the odds of creativity leading to that, uh, your, your art, whatever it is, it's not likely to, to have that outcome. But number two, examine yourself because what you're seeking isn't what you should be seeking in the first place. Right. You know, so ironically, it's, it's not that you should abandon your work. It's that you should put these gifts to use for a greater goal than self. So all that just to say that I'm not going to try to reassure people that oh no, the culture is waiting to hear your special voice and everyone will be receptive and, and you should definitely move ahead. I'm probably going to take more of a reality check approach and still 
you know, encourage you to persevere and go forward, but with your eyes open. And it's a, you know, I, I, I want to talk about those fears that we have about putting ourselves out there. I don't think they're all legitimate. I think some of them are legitimate, but are not reasons not to do it. You know, but um, I'd like to look at analogies. And so I've been thinking a lot about the story of Lot in the book of Genesis and how Lot really embodies a lot of our fears about getting involved in the world around us. He's a guy who chooses the life of the city when he could have stayed out in the wilderness. You know, he could have taken different land, but instead he gravitates towards the city and definitely has an affinity in him for that. He gets involved. You know, he's at the gate, which means he's, he's a, a leader. He's trying to make it a better place. Maybe he's trying to have an influence for the good in that place. Maybe he thinks he has had that influence. Abraham seems to think maybe he has, because when it comes time to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham doesn't think it's unreasonable that there could be righteous people living there. Mm -hmm. And reading between the lines, I think maybe he's thinking, you know, Lot has had an effect. You know, there are other people in his circle that, that see things the way that he does. But of course, that turns out not to be the case, uh, tragically not the case. And the fruit of Lot's contribution is you know, the loss of his wife, uh, the loss of his, his alienation from his daughters, and and just terrible consequences. And so that, I think, is the... So that's what will happen if you go after, if you pursue your dream. Well, isn't that kind of the... I think that's kind of the narrative, you know, that, that uh, oftentimes we are kind of warned off of going out there for that very reason. And things have changed a lot since I was young, but when I was at that moment of graduating high school and going to college, my pastor gave me a, a, a talk about, are you sure you want to go to college? And it was a serious thing. Like it wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh, joking. He was really not too convinced that that was a good move for a Christian because you're going to go off to college and you'll lose your faith. And so that I think is is definitely a a fear that that people have, and so as a result, as a creative Christian, what you'll often be encouraged to do is to make your contribution within the the confines of a subculture. So don't go out into the world and you know make movies or design video games or sing songs or whatever. We have a little Christian enclave that's devoted to those things and, and you can do it here and you can do it safely here. And, you know, I think I've got mixed feelings about that because on the one hand, I do believe there are people whose calling is to use their God given gifts to edify the church. And that is what they should be doing. But all too often these Christian subcultures are, are just commercially oriented and they're not really about edifying the church. They're about selling cultural products to the consumer who happens to be a Christian. And so about that, I have more ambivalent feelings. I think at the end of the day, God has called us to be makers of culture. Like we're meant to be contributing to culture. A lot of our fear leads us to stop at criticism where we're, we're engaged with the culture in a critical way, we're, we're able to tell you what's wrong with the world around us. Mm -hmm. 
but we're not actually contributing anything to that world to change it. And so that's the direction that I want to point people to, is using the gifts that God has given you to contribute to the world where he's called you to try to not transform it utterly, that's, that's Christ's job, but, but to be in a position to be used to make it better by contributing to other people, right? Building them up. Yeah, and that's, that's clearly different than getting in a debate over some cultural topic. You know, that's, unfortunately, I've seen Christians use their art to, to kind of just push views as well. Sure. And I don't think that's what you're saying, but. No, I mean, it's always complicated because, so from the standpoint of uh, Christian creativity, I would always really, really, really strongly urge people not to just become propagandists, not to think that the purpose of your art is just to like manufacture easy narratives to influence people in a Christian direction Mm -hmm. because propaganda people see through that. But I have to qualify that because of course, throughout the history of great art, great literature, some great art is also really propagandistic. (laughs) So at the end of the day, if, if you have decided you've got to write the great American conversion story and everyone who, who reads it gets the plan of salvation clearly <laughs> ringing through that, then, then at least make it the best novel of its kind that you possibly can. Right? Yeah, so, right. so just use those gifts. Don't, don't use the message as an excuse for the rest not to be done well, mm. I guess is what I would say. Okay, I have a story. I don't know if you know this or if I've told you this before, but I was in a hardcore metal band in high school and college. Did you know this? I, I've been told this, <laughs> okay. and I've never brought it up because I right. didn't want to embarrass you. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll embarrass myself here. Uh, but no, I'm proud of it. So I got in, probably in high school, I got into this strange music scene, and it was probably one of those Christian subcultures that you were just talking sure. about. But it was it was like Christian hardcore, Christian metal, and particularly in the Midwest, around around South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, there were a lot of bands, and they were kind of all doing the same thing—really heavy, really loud, fast music—and but Christian and explicitly yeah. Christian. And what that what that meant? Well, I have to use the word explicitly because that's what it meant to be a Christian band. in in this subculture was like, we're always going to be shouting literally about Jesus. Yeah. And so I was in this band called Colossus and, and that's what we were up to. You know, we were, um, all of our songs were just explicitly about some doctrine or some aspect of, of the faith. And there was this one really big band named for today and they're from Iowa. They they actually really made it kind of like beyond the subculture and they were really popular nationwide. And they were I think that example that you just mentioned of like the the group or the artist that does it really well but is still really vocal yes. about the faith. Yeah. And so they they did make it to that grand scale, but what I noticed was all the other bands over the years eventually, I mean of course they broke up, but most of them <laughs> also renounced their faith before they broke up. It was like slowly yeah, they're like, oh, by the way, we were not Christians. And some, some of them would release really aggressive and, and like very kind of atheist 
mm-hmm. albums after the fact. And what became evident to me much later looking back was like, okay, so we were all like, we knew that we had to say that we were Christian and this is what we were up to, but we, we really wanted to, we were there for the music, you know, like yeah. we loved like the really heavy sound. We loved playing and moshing and all that, but like we felt like we needed to be Christian. So I, I always felt torn between the two because I, I mean, I certainly hadn't worked out my, my view of Christian art at that point, And I was kind of a new Christian, but I loved the music. So right. I think we actually wrote some decent music, but it was, I don't know. It was, it was just like not everything that it could have been because we felt like we needed to push the faith into it. Right. Yeah. No, it, that's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like there's a, almost like a sociological study <laughs> oh, there, waiting, yeah. waiting to happen there. But, <laughs> but I can relate to that because when I think of, you know, other subgenres, and you have these in literature as well that are kind of, uh, in the the world of like evangelical publishing, right? There are uh-huh. certain uh, subgenres that have always thrived, and they do have that 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 quality to them of feeling a little bit like the like the imposter fragrance thing. I once worked in a warehouse. I was typesetting while the guy next to me was fulfilling orders for imposter fragrances, hmm. and uh, back then the typesetting equipment, you had to mix these photographic chemicals. So my area smelled terrible. And then you would go to the imposter fragrance area and that also smelled terrible, but in a completely different way. But I remember there was always, you know, the, the, the sales pattern, you know, it was like, if you like Giorgio, you'll love Sergio (laughs) because it's just the same, only cheaper. Mm. And I think there's, there's a similar logic that drove Christian subcultures for a long time, which was, you know, the thing you really love is that thing out there in the world. But because you know it's dangerous, you need a version of it that's safer. But it should be as much like that as possible. And so you can kind of see in music, I think, a very clear delineation where where it's whatever is happening in pop music, you're going to have like Christian pop music that sounds like that. But the lyrics are different. Yeah. And, and now I think it's done to an extent that, that actually the Christian pop sounds like the real stuff. When I was younger, it didn't, it tried to, but, but it was clearly, (laughs) there was definitely a gap in quality, which, which I think is, is not the case, but, but that's the reality in general with creativity, right? Most creative efforts will fail to be great most bands will break up and and will be failures most books will not be published and if they are will not be read that's not unique to the christian experience that's just the creative path and so none of those things are th- those aren't criticisms of christian creativity but i do think it's helpful to look at the silos that we tend to you know, funnel ourselves into, excuse a mixed metaphor, <laughs> and ask ourselves, is there more that we could do? Like, could we push ourselves farther and use our gifts to their fullest? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've tried to do to the extent that I can. You know, I, I think that um, I have a, a semi-realistic assessment of my own abilities 
I think you have to be a little bit self-deluded to pursue a creative calling. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you have to think, well, I know genius is rare, but <laughs> I, I think maybe the next thing I write could be genius, yep. you know. Um, in order to proceed, you've got to think that way. But, but uh, I find myself really kind of weighing like like how should i contribute you know what what should i write and and how should my faith influence it but surely it needs to be some kind of a like a real tangible contribution and not just trash or not just products you know written to to make some cash hmm. this is this is interesting i want to go a little deeper because I ask myself these questions too, as I'm creating things. And I guess like, so it, is the goal then to contribute something to culture that non-Christians cannot even appreciate? Or is it like, it seems to me what you're saying is like, we don't want to just have the church as our audience, as if the only reason we're creating something is to edify the church. Although I know that we would qualify that and say, of course, all Christian art should edify the church, right? Like, I, I think you would say that, but maybe you just want to broaden the scope of your audience. Yeah, I think, so for me, I like to focus on, on like keeping things simple. And so if people ask me, like, how should I do my art or use my creative gifts for God's glory? I'll typically say something like, like do it really well. And always tell the truth. And the more truth telling you do, and the better you do it, that's as much as you can ask from whatever your work is. Like, like do the thing you've been called to do. Do the thing you have the vision to do. Uh, Don't get caught up on, like, will it be the greatest work ever? Uh, But also don't get caught up on is this like what the market wants or or even like who is the audience for this you know i i think it's legitimate to write for believers it's legitimate to write for the world all human beings uh and in the other sort of combination of those things depending on the direction that that the spirit carries you right it, but all of that at its heart will have some sort of you know, you know, bearing witness to the truth about the world that God made and how it works. And, and maybe you're not telling the, the whole truth, like every single detail, but you're, you're focusing on some aspect of that truth and, and bringing it forward through your art. And I feel like to think you will achieve more than that is probably a little grandiose. Maybe an analogy would be helpful. Um, I was always fascinated by the story of Odysseus mm-hmm. and the way that when he had to sail past the sirens, whose beautiful song would lure men to their deaths, he had to find a way to hear that song. As dangerous as he knew it was, he wanted to hear it. And so he ties himself to the mast. He has his men stop up their ears so that they can sail by without hearing but then he can listen without being driven mad and doing something self-destructive. And I don't know, like I, I always found that fascinating as a, 
basically like a ploy to be able to safely hear this dangerous song for yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, for that to work, Odysseus really needs there also to be men in the boat who are willing to, to turn a deaf ear to it <laughs> and focus on doing what must be done, right? So that he can indulge himself. And, and I think that corresponds maybe to a certain kind of view of what it means to be an artist and, and certainly a kind of Christian creativity where there's a, you might say like the, the safety and steadiness of the church somehow gives me this sort of range to, to be exposed to what others, you know, cannot be exposed to or whatever. I heard the story though recently of how a different mythological character navigated the sirens and it turns out Orpheus was a great musician when he had to sail past the sirens instead of doing the Odysseus thing, Orpheus plays a song and the song that he plays neutralizes or cancels out the song of the sirens so that they can sail past in safety. And when I heard that, it really struck me what a different approach that is to how to use your talents. It's not about self-indulgence. It's not everyone else will sacrifice so that I might experience this thing. It's I'm going to use my gifts so that the, the danger is ameliorated and something good is put out there. And so to me, that, that really embodies the aspiration that, that I would love for creative Christians to have, that, that we want to put something good out there, but it's not just you know, something good for the sake of something good, although that's good. It's also contributed with the idea that there is a lot that is corrupting and a lot that is, is malevolent and a lot that is um, death-aspiring in the world around us. But that beauty is a way of like, like going out into the world and, and canceling that out in a way. And so I think that that's a, a way of seeing the value, the utility of creative work. Yeah, we're contributing to a culture that is definitely full of all sorts of, of iniquity and, and all sorts of dangers. But doing it in that hopeful way that what we put out there is actually making things better, even if in, in a really small way, and is at least painting an alternative so that we're not guilty of being people that everybody knows what we're against, but nobody knows what we're for. Yeah, I like that. The word redemptive comes to mind. I don't know if you would use that word, but... Yeah, I, th- I think that... Uh, it's a good one. Yeah. Instead of canceling out, I mean, I, I know what you're trying to say there, but um, like Orpheus playing his song, neutralizing or redeeming something that's otherwise lost in the culture. I, I think that's, that's really cool. I often wonder too, how to encourage other artists to, to find their unique voice or their angle or to, to avoid the pressure, whether you're a Christian or not, frankly, to, to do something original I, and I, and, and not be so worried about that, that cancel culture voice or just blending in. I think what you said, do what you do really well and tell the truth. I, I can't think of much more yeah. to offer, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I think, 
again, for any creative person right now seeking advice, most of what you're going to hear is going to reinforce the idea that, that it's all about self-expression, mm-hmm. that it's very therapeutic, that it's about doing some kind of repair of your psyche through the means of art. And so it can be very self-referential and, you know, to use a, a term that I guess we don't use as much anymore, but, but there used to be this criticism focused, especially at, at essayists who were always writing about themselves and referred to it as navel gazing. <laughs> and I feel like that has become very true for uh, a lot of the ways that we form artists, that we form them to be very self-obsessed, very concerned with their own sort of inner turmoil and trial and sort of weaponizing that for art or something. And so you need to be turned inside out. You need advice that's going to maybe push you into the objectivity of craft or the objectivity of speaking to the world, telling the actual truth about things, not just spouting a party line. I think that kind of encouragement is really good because although there's always a lot of pressure to go with the flow and most young artists and honestly, most artists, most creative people in general do that. Mm -hmm. We congratulate ourselves on our originality, but we basically believe what all the people like us believe. And we do the same gestures in our work that, that we all do. And we congratulate one another on how brave it is. And publish one another. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's actually comparatively rare to find creative people who are willing to, you know, blaze a trail and kind of follow a unique vision and not be hemmed in by the approval of others. And so I think that that's kind of, let's say, like the third leg of the stool, really. You know, I think there's the the good craft, doing everything you do well. It's true for every every Christian in his work, not just for, for artists. There's the truth-telling peg. And, uh, you know, I think broadly understood, finding whatever the true thing is at the, the heart of your work and really working that out. And then there's this third aspect as well. You know, if not, I'm not saying not listening, but not being hemmed in by the pressures from around you, not not using your gift to please men, but releasing it to please God. And those three things maybe are, are, are the key for a creative Christian looking to develop. So I'm going to ask, a question on the spot. If you can think of any artists at all, preferably contemporary ones or maybe more recent ones, artists, writers, poets, musicians who have done this, because I think it's hard to spot many. I mean, at least recently. And I I know that they're out there, but do you have any that come to mind? Like people you think, ah, this is like, I know this person's a Christian. They're doing this well. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's yes and no. Like, like I will say that, I I do feel that I know people who are doing these things. I do also recognize, though, the difficulty of 
that kind of question, you know, so there was always the question that would be asked, you know, okay, this is what you think Christian fiction should be. Who are the writers that exemplify Mm -hmm. this thing? Like, tell me the person, name the name that I would then go and imitate. And whenever I was faced with that question, which I'm never great at at any sort of listicle style question anyway, I always forget (laughs) what I love when I'm put on the spot and then I'll remember a week later, no, that's not my favorite writer. This is my favorite writer. But every time I looked at that, I I would end up with sort of the, the mid 20th century Catholic novelists from, I mentioned Evil and Woe, Flannery O'Connor, Francois Mauriac, um, all the way down to, let's say Walker Percy, who, is dead now, but our we overlapped. Uh-huh. Like there was a time when I was alive and he was alive. Yes, and uh, and Graham Greene, throw Graham Greene in there as well, is a personal favorite of mine. And um, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of people who are working as Christians and are pursuing this vision now, and and uh, it is happening. I think the the difficulty though is like the jury of greatness thing. Yes, you know that it's very difficult to look at your contemporaries and say, "Oh, here is the great work mm-hmm. that is being done." You know, sure. and, and it's always too soon to know. So then, what if we if we broaden the question to include as many centuries as you want? I mean, who are the the great artists that that still inspire you today? I think of uh, Dostoevsky and Bach. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, there are tons. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is the irony, you know, as, as a Christian, you have this great inheritance that has gone before us where whatever the discipline is, you know, if you're thinking about music, or you're thinking about literature, you're thinking about visual arts, whatever, there, there is a tradition of contribution that has been shaped by the faith. And so, you know, we have all this, this embarrassment of riches when it comes to, you know, great Christian work of the past. I think where it really becomes interesting, though, is... Like if if you ask yourself, what's the difference now versus then? I think the difference is is the attitude of the church towards that work. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the various arts, oftentimes you'll see like a a relationship between the people making that art and the church in their period, whatever church that is. It could be as direct as you know Bach being hired by a church to right. compose music. It could be less direct than that, you know, just a, a novelist who's a part of the church kind of reacting to the, the theology and, and that sort of thing. But I think that now the church is so commercially oriented that the church isn't interested in Christian creativity in the same way that it, that it might have been in the past. I think the church is interested... In, in the the product, like the being entertained aspect of it, but the doing art part of it is not as appreciated. And so that, to me, has created a different dynamic where, yeah, there is this tradition to inherit of Christians doing their work Christianly, but as a Christian working today, you're more likely to receive that inheritance outside the church. You know, and I think about the the people I was just naming, uh, Graham Greene, Walker, Percy, Flannery O'Connor, all of those, none of them 
were introduced to me in the church, even though they were profound Christian thinkers and artists, it was always out in the world that I encountered them because the church, at least the part of the church that, that I'd spent my time in, just wasn't interested in things like that. You know, the, the author's church of my sort of experience would have introduced me to would have been the people writing Christian commercial fiction. Well, this has been helpful. I'm curious if you have any parting words for me as a creative person or for any of our creative listeners or any other points that you are hoping to bring to the students on your talk. Yeah, I think if I was looking for like a final word, I would say something like this, that in order to be valuable and in order to be valued in the eyes of God, Christian creative work, like all work, simply has to be what it is, that you have to do the, the job, do it well, do it to the best of your ability and for the glory of God, and that it doesn't need to be more than that. So there is no need to, quote-unquote, Christianize it. If you're a painter, you don't need to get up in a church service and paint pictures during the church service in order for that artistic gift to be valued by the church. In fact, I would say it's the opposite of that, that when we adopt this attitude that the way we value something is by like shoehorning it somehow into the worship service, that's very similar to that way of thinking that, that um, there's secular callings and sacred callings and the people who are truly pleasing to, the, to God are the ones pursuing the sacred callings, uh, full-time ministry, that, that kind of thing. Part of understanding all of life as lived before God's faith is recognizing that you don't need to somehow get the, the blessing of the, the, the pastor or the, the, the church to smile upon you or, or to incorporate you somehow into its service in order to be valued. That the best way that the church can value artists, I think, is by assisting them in their growth as disciples, by helping them to see the, the riches of God's creation and the riches of his revelation and how all of that can inform the work that he's called them to do. And so I guess what I'm saying is use those gifts Use them in whatever ways God is, is pushing you. And don't be constrained by the idea that in order to have value, it somehow has to be this other thing. Just tell the truth. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. If you're listening to this episode within a few days of its release, you can join me for the Worldview Academy talk. It's being hosted online via Zoom. We'll include a link to the registration information in the show notes. If you're listening after the event, you can follow the link and see the recording of the talk. In our next episode, we'll revisit our conversation about daily worship. 
comparing notes on how we've been doing on the new Be Thou My Vision liturgy. I hope you'll join us for that. Until then, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.